Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. may be biased, but I have to say my guests are incredible. On today's episode, I am talking to Jen Shears. She is up in Newfoundland. And oh my gosh, I just want to spend a day with this woman in the outdoors. I get to hear about her story of taking her daughter Aspen hunting with her on a sheep hunt and just some of her and her family's incredible experiences as hunters and just what they do in life. She has such a great perspective and just zest for life. I just was uh, so refueled and refocused after talking to her. I sat down with a glass of wine on a Sunday evening and we just got to catch up. I think that you are absolutely going to love this episode and be inspired as well by Jen and her family. There is just no boundaries when it comes to what they can do and they are paving the way for their daughter to share that same perspective. And it's something that I truly, truly admire, especially in today's crazy world and all things 2020. They really learned how to adapt and overcome all of the obstacles. Jump in with us now as we talk to Jen Shears. I'm excited to share today's episode with you. But before we dive in, here's a quick shout out to today's sponsor. Did you know ticks can cause life-threatening illness and disease? The great thing here is it can be prevented. No matter if you're hunting or just out on an epic adventure, you're likely to come into contact with ticks or be in tick-infested areas. They can be transmitted off of your body, your gear, or even your pets. I choose to use Sawyer Insect Repellent to keep my family and myself safe. Whether you're using permethrin spray, which can be put directly onto gear and will last up to six washes, or you're using the Picaridin Lotion, which is kid and pet safe, by the way, you're giving yourself a huge advantage in tick prevention. Head over to Sawyer.com to see what they've got going on and get your family protected from all things ticks. So let's get to know all things Jen. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, there's there's a lot and a little at the same time. It, it's really funny. Um, our, our life is very multifaceted, but it kind of all links together and works for us. So I guess that's, that's a good thing for us anyway. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So you've been with your husband now for a long time. Kind of walk us through that story and just like how you guys met and just the uh, evolution if you will of like knowing somebody from such a young age to like growing with them and growing a relationship with them yeah we basically grew up together um so we just met through a friend at 15 basically we lived in different towns and uh met on the phone he asked me out before we had ever seen each other or met each other there was no social media there weren't even cell phones like it was it was way back when I'm aging myself here now but uh it was kind of innocent and sweet in a way too um so yeah we started dating at 15 and uh his parents would bring him into my town to visit me on the weekends and my parents would bring me down to this town where we live now to um see each other on the weekends and um Thankfully, my dad was the one that was on board with it. My mom was like the one that was like, no way, I'm not bringing my 15-year-old girl to see a boy. And uh, normally it's the opposite. The dads are like, no way. But dad was like, Mary, that's my mom's name. We've been together since we were 13. And, you know, if someone had kind of stopped us from being together, we wouldn't be together now. So we should try to help them along. And they liked him and stuff. So, yeah, we we started dating really young and... um, the outdoors and hunting and fishing and everything was just always a part of our relationship. We'd go at rabbit catching and bring them home to the family and his mom and stuff would cook it up or we'd go goose hunting and stuff. And, um, and then, yeah, we, 
we basically have two sets of parents. Each his parents are my parents. My parents are his parents, and um, really similar value sets and everything, which is nice. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, we we grew up together. We we started some businesses together and everything. And um, from the hunting aspect, like in Newfoundland, we don't really have that much to hunt. We, we have an abundance of animals, but not an abundance of species. So we've got moose, caribou, and black bear. Um, so once we really discovered that we were foodies and we loved to travel and we loved to hunt, we thought, and we have more disposable income later on um, in our relationship, we thought, well, we'll branch off and travel off the island and, and go hunting there and bring home um, our harvests and share it with our friends and sustain our families that way. So um, that's that's how like the outdoors and hunting kind of grew with us. That's awesome. And now you guys have a daughter. Her name is Aspen. Um, yes. Just, I, I know that actually, so when I sent you some questions just to get to know you a little bit better, uh, one of the things that you talked about was the first year of Aspen's life and what, uh, <laughs> almost like a beautiful catastrophe that was and a lot of learning lessons along the way. But, you know, as somebody that you grew up with as a kid, essentially your partner, your husband, you know, and then going into being a mother, like how did that change your guys' relationship and how did that change uh, your ability to enjoy the outdoors or that view of getting outside to go hunting? Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly does put a whole different dynamic on a relationship. By the time we had Aspen, I think we had been together 15 years or so, almost. Um, so we had grown up a lot together, and we had a lot of great years by ourselves. And then it was kind of like adding this other person but we we viewed it more as like uh having having a buddy to kind of introduce and we, we love seeing things new through people's eyes so we're creatures of habit we travel to the same places all the time you know vegas bahamas the same kinds of things but we always bring new people because we just love seeing it through their eyes for the first time so we kind of looked at it that way with aspen like we get to continue doing the crazy cool things that we do and we get to teach her and see it through her eyes and, and get a whole new view on it that way. Um, so, yeah, the struggle the struggle was more keeping her alive than it was uh, keeping our relationship alive, really. We, we had well, so many incidents with her, like... Like, I think in the questionnaire I wrote in the first month, well, we took her golfing. I could finally walk after a month. <laughs> and uh, we, we went to a golf course and... Uh, I was getting ready to tee off and she was in her, you know, her car seat hooked into the stroller. Thankfully, I had her strapped in and a big gust of wind <laughs> took the stroller and blew her right over at a month old. And uh, there was one of our friends with us and he ran up to her. And we were all running and he looked at the car seat and it says, oh, good. It says side impact tested. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, it's just like we had an over and under on, on make it, having her make it to one year because our life is so crazy and we're so all over the place but you know we were doing the best we could really to to um keep her alive and keep her um on board with us as a team and so yeah we've really uh, grown to have a great a great little buddy to, to share it all with us well and she's got to be tough one tough cookie because i see her out there on your sheep hunts with you what is that like to be able to bring your daughter who is relatively young she's seven if i'm not mistaken and, yes and to take her out on a sheep hunt like Honestly, I've only been on two sheep hunts, but I've been in the backcountry. I've been in the outdoors a ton. And I know that there's like grown adults who can't make it a day out there. So what is that like bringing a youngster out there? Well, I mean, so you probably know in life sometimes things get thrown at you and your options really are, you know, fight or flight. And, and that's that's kind of where we were with that situation. It wasn't our, probably our first choice to bring her on a sheep hunt at seven. Um, but COVID came and, and we know that that's changed our lives and our world in, in many ways. So the whole reason she ended up coming was because, um, uh, on our island in Newfoundland, um, 
we would need to isolate from her when we returned. My hunts, my sheep hunts especially, never go quickly. They always go extended. I end up doubling up on them. So um, Carrie and I were saying, like, there's no way we could really be away for potentially 28 days or a month and then come home and have to look at her through a pane of glass. Like, that would be absolute torture for her um, and for us. So we thought, like, well, what are our options? And, and one of them was, well, let's just take her along for the ride. So um, that was daunting because she, even this summer, would cry going around a one-mile-long flat pond trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, like, we knew we knew it was going to be a challenge. And like you say, sheep hunts are, are tough enough as they are mentally and physically. But I think going into it, knowing like that's the choice that we had made to bring her and we would do whatever we had to um to succeed at it and succeed didn't even mean um harvesting a sheep it just meant like getting through the days and having none of us want to divorce or separate or (laughs) emancipate from one another and uh and um so so yeah we went with that in mind the first the first 50 yards she had a meltdown <laughs> and at that point I was like why are we doing this why are we doing this but man she we, we talked her through it and um you know told her like this is a big adventure we're gonna have such a great time you're gonna be so proud of yourself and after that like there wasn't really a hitch a few small meltdowns but heck we all had those <laughs> we, we all have our moments so we couldn't be mad at her for having a few small ones but no, she she excelled, and we always had kind of as a reward at the end. We were going to go fishing in in a lake that was down by where the float plane had dropped us off. And she is obsessed with fishing. She's absolutely obsessed with fishing, and so that was everything she needed to kind of get her through those days to know she could catch this huge pike or this huge lake trout. And uh, yeah, it was it was rewarding. It was tough. It was beautiful. Um, it was, it, it was a matter of patience and, and, you know, walking her through it. Oh, definitely. I can only imagine, like, like you said, within the first 50 yards, having a meltdown, or sometimes it's hard to get your kids to go do a mile with you, you know, and I can relate to that. My kids are pretty good about it now, but there's a lot of convincing occasionally that I have to do to get them to go out for a hike or something. And I know that I hear that from a lot of other parents who talk about, like, I'm trying to get my kids into the outdoors, but it's just such a physical hardship for them. You know, there's meltdowns, or they get tired, or have to carry them. And I know a lot of parents experience like a loss of joy or a loss of excitement about going to do those things because they have to kind of deal with both of those aspects at the same time. Has there been some sort of like a mindset or a mantra or some way of like just shifting your focus of what you're doing to make it a little bit more friendly so you're not like getting yourself in a situation where you're getting frustrated about you know what, trying to do what you want to do, but also having, you know, a, a little one in tow? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I always tell myself I have all my own opportunities to go on my own hunts um, mm-hmm. that are, you know, without her. So I have that kind of moment uh, and those trips to myself. Um, but when she's involved, I, I always think, like, the, the end goal is greater and more wonderful than the sum of all the trials and tribulations um when she's out there uh so at the end of it all she ends up enjoying it and um and looks back you know at at those experiences in a really fond way um and laughs then at the times that maybe she got frustrated or I got frustrated which I try not to do but sometimes it happens um but yeah it always ends up tying back to the end result being being greater than the bad times combined. Absolutely. And I think it's important to look at that as like just creating a positive experience, you know, and I imagine from coming from a family that is so involved in the outdoors and has a passion for all those things. In fact, you had a career in the outdoors uh, for a long time and still have businesses related to that. You know, she has a lot of the exposure Um, But I think sometimes you just have to tame it back like you like you just mentioned and go this necessarily isn't about me. This is about the experience of having my family and my child involved in that. Yeah, you've got it. And and for me, like at this point, she's seven. um, So myself and Carrie, uh, my husband, are 
the biggest influences in her life right now. Pretty soon, and I'm even starting to see it creep in a little bit, friends and um, media. She doesn't have too, too much exposure to media, but what she does, I can see it's kind of creeping into her, you know, her sense of place and sense of being. So I'm just trying to be the most positive influence in terms of like, well, everything, but in terms of the outdoors, hunting, fishing and all that, while I'm still that kind of pinnacle of, of influence for her because it's so much easier to do it then, than when they've already, they're already being influenced by friends and other people to kind of try to rein them back when they don't have that foundation. Um, so I'm just trying to hit it early so that in, when, when she's being influenced she'll still let, have that in the back of her mind like oh I do remember those times and I do remember how great it is and how important it is to our lifestyle and to how we sustain ourselves and everything um, so yeah for me early is key and it's not to say that if anyone's listening that their children are older that they shouldn't start it, it's just for, for me I'm aware of, of how that can play out so I'm just trying to start as early as possible and that's a really good point. You know, right now we as parents are the highlight of what they're learning and experiencing. And uh, I was listening to a podcast on the way home from California today. And I was talking about like, as a parent, we don't just want to be good parents. We don't want just to teach them, you know, to do it because we said so, right? Because then we lose respect. We want to we want to teach them in a way that makes them desire to be who we are, how we act, the way that we perceive ourselves, the way, you know, we um, exude our integrity or business aspects or any of those things. Like we want to teach them by example, not just because this methodology of because I said so, or because I'm your parent or whatever. So I think leading by example and being very aware of that during the process is super important. And I know personally, I made a ton of mistakes in um, exposing my kids uh, and maybe I'm being a little harsh on myself and I would encourage other people's not to be harsh on themselves. So I'll say I made some mistakes um, in exposing my kids to the outdoors when they were young. Things like, you know, trying to get them out there. And it's different, I think, if you have other opportunities. But when, you know, I know there's a lot of parents who go, my only option if I want to hunt this year is to put my babies in a double jogger and hit the trail. You know, so I know that everybody's uh, reality looks a little bit differently. And I remember taking that on and going hey I want to go blacktail hunt my only chance of doing that right now is to take these two kids with me and try to have fun at the same time and I would just get so uptight about like noise or slam doors or all these things that I think I ended up taking some of the joy and the experience out of it for them because I was too wrapped up in what it needed to be for me um, and not what it needed to be for my family so I guess that's just kind of an encouragement to other people that You know, depending on the season of life you're in with however old your kids are or whatever level of exposure they've had. Maybe it's a um, somebody, an adult trying to get their partner to go for the first time. You know, I think it just has to be fun for them and it has to kind of be at the level that they are. You're you're so right. Um, And and I think that goes with any activity. Like if you push the kids too hard or or make it miserable, then it it won't work out in your favor. But if you kind of go with the flow, which I I do in my life in general, like I'm just known for being easygoing and kind of relaxed in that way. Um, it just makes it easier and and better in, in the long run, really. Absolutely, for sure. And you know what? I think it's a really good point to say to where we are right now in 2020 with... You know, whether it's the, you know, coronavirus or it's political or it's, you know, the economy, like I think that it's really important just to say, you know, I think we can all learn a little bit of a lesson if we just step back a little bit and go, I can't control it. Let's just cool my jets a little bit now and just take it one thing at a time, you know? Yeah, it certainly puts things into perspective, doesn't it? When the world is kind of falling around uh, around our heads, so it's uh, yeah, a different time. But it's then it's a great time to start, you know, forging new paths and building different types of relationships with the people in our families and um, and with our friends and stuff. So the opportunity is is great as well. It definitely is. That's for sure. So during this trip, this is her first true backcountry experience. 
Yeah, it, it is for sure. Yes. So what did she think about like at the end of the day when you guys tucked into the tent and got settled down? Did she have any like, you know, was there this uh, evolution in her like in her daily process of this? Or do you think it was just like this big conglomeration of an experience for her? Did you see any like growing points for her during the trip? Yeah, like, the the thing with that trip was, is that, like, there, there wasn't a set number of days. So, her, in, in her mind as a seven-year-old, it's like, I, I need to know how many days I'm going to be expected to do this. But really, we couldn't give her that answer because, well, we don't know. Tomorrow, we could see a big ram and we could go after it and get it down and then we're, we'll be at the next day. But... Also, you know how it goes when mommy and daddy go on trips. Sometimes we don't come home for three weeks because we don't see anything. Um, for her, that was the biggest struggle, I think, because she didn't. It's like in school, you know, they count like today is the hundredth day of school, and we have this many days left, and it's very structured mm -hmm. in that sense. That it's sense of time, um, and we couldn't give her that. But what we could give her was the sense of time from daylight to dark. We could definitely give her that. Once it gets dark, if we don't have a ram down, we will be on our way back to the tent and we won't be too late before we, we get back to it. So you can look forward to that and um, the, the food and everything for her, right? like um, freeze dried food. Uh, it was, was a whole new experience to her. So even like physically, it was a different experience. We tried to bring, as many regular foods as we could for her. Like I, I, I packed cans of tuna up there, really not uh, weight friendly. Items, yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I thought like not only mentally, but physically she needs the, the food that she needs to sustain her properly to get her through it. Um, so yeah, just, just the, the time was the, the biggest struggle for her, but she really did so well. Um, we, we do a lot of traveling and, um, you know, we never, we never really know which time zone we're in. She, from the time she was three months old, never really knew what time zone she was in. So just getting used to going to bed when we went to bed and all that, um, was, was just normal. And I guess in a sense, thankfully with, uh, with her being at a school since March due to COVID, she still wasn't on like a, on a go to bed at 8 PM kind of schedule and, and stuck that way. So we were able to have flexibility with her that way. Um, so yeah, there, there was a lot at play, but, she, but yeah, she did well. She adapted well. And, but again, patience was the key for times that she, she wasn't adapting well or, or was upset about the, the time you know, taking on and us not being able to leave. Um, patience was key, talking it through her, with her. And, we, you know, we'd say, well, you could be here with us or you could be back home and wondering what we're doing and when we're going to be home. At, at least we're together as a family. And that usually got her through to, to the next event that we were that we were undertaking up in those mountains so I think that there's some really fun things that you can do with kids when you're out there as kind of a mental distraction to things like you know playing the range game like how far do you think that is away and, and doing some kind of those things or trying to discover different creatures or mosses or whatever do you guys have some of those kind of things that you try to focus on as a way for not only developmentally for her to learn those new things but also just to keep her entertained yeah we play games all the time scavenger hunt type things I'll choose three things that she needs to find she'll choose three things that I need to find and we'll see who can find them first uh, um, things like that um, also she likes the idea of geocaches so we'll like some up in the mountains there were some um miners stakes up there so she would bring like a little tiny trinket or something tiny and just leave it there even like a little piece of paper and she would write her name on it and she would love the idea of some explorer someday would come and find this piece of paper which they won't but <laughs> it'll, it'll dissolve by then but um she she loved like leaving her mark kind of in that way um playing games about yeah identifying different trees or different plants and things like that yeah she she enjoys she enjoys all that finding the animals who could spot the first whatever yeah yeah keeping keeping them in, engaged but yeah guessing how many steps it would take to to get to this point and uh 
having a reward based on that who would get the last Kit, Kit Kat bar or something like that yeah um, she, they love they love challenges you know yes. they love contests and races so anytime we could um introduce that into the day she really she really liked it obstacle courses and stuff it, it uh, kept her busy and engaged well that's so great too because then they feel not just like they're and I don't know if a kid thinks this, but I can imagine, or maybe this is me just putting an adult feeling in a child, but like, as opposed to them being, you know, almost drug into something, they're a part of something. They are, of you know, course. identifying things themselves and they're getting to challenge you and they're getting to see things before you do and that kind of stuff. So I think it probably gives them a good uh, sense of entitlement as far as it, you know, being a part of that. Um, totally. Yeah, and that being up in the mountains, like it's a it's a team event anyway. Whether you're talking about the guide that you're with, or if there's a camera person with you, it, it's really a team aspect. So if any person is not feeling great, you know, it'll drag down the rest of the team. So you need to rally around one another and um, and do what it takes and provide what you can to keep everyone where they need to be um, mentally and, and physically. Uh, another thing that we like to do with Aspen and she enjoyed was um, just spotting, getting behind the spotter, having her binoculars and seeing if she could find things. And sure enough, she spotted some things before we did. So that, it was pretty cool. And then she really felt part of it. Um, and, you know, she'd say, I think I see this. And so everyone would run over. And then she was, you know, the star of the show for that moment. And, and she really, she really loved that. So um, that was, that was fun for her. That's awesome. Well, I yeah. imagine that you and Carrie have a pretty good understanding of how to effectively work together as a team in general, but also when it comes to being in the field and hunting, you probably have established by now the same kind of hunting methodologies and you would tend to agree on things. However, I know that regardless of how much you love somebody or how much time you've spent with them or how many hunts you've been on with them, there's always opportunity to run in to disagreements um or to you know maybe you just get in a predicament the weather sucks the elements are terrible and somebody's not feeling that great like how do you guys um really network through getting back on the same page or what does that look like for you guys is it pretty easy or do you have to really work at it i'm so happy to say that it's really easy for us um and it's probably well a lot to do with um how how well we've known each other and how long we've known each other and all the things that we've been through and we know one another's dynamics but also the fact that um I'm a really slow hiker and so a lot of the time he's on ahead of me and I'm just at my own pace on my own so if there is something that comes up we've got some time apart as we're moving from one place to another to kind of go through it in our heads and sort of okay when I catch up to him and he's you know spotting up there what are we going to do about it? And by the time we join back up together, normally we've got something figured out that'll work for both of us. But thankfully, we're pretty um, pretty well on the same page. Like I'd say, I'd say ninety five percent of the time. And any time that there's something that, that, like if there is an issue, normally it's some kind of external factor or person that is kind of throwing a you know a game-changing thing onto us and then we need to kind of adapt really quickly but thankfully it's nothing that comes up between two of us um so we we always feel like we're on the same team we're gonna confront it as a unit and what we decide and how we proceed will be in our best interest as a couple and as a team again the whole team aspect is is crucial for us um so but yeah it it, it has been pretty easy thankfully um we're, we're quite lucky that way. Since you guys have been together so long, I can only imagine there are some epic stories. Why don't you rattle off at least one of your guys' like craziest experiences together in the outdoors? Oh my gosh. Craziest experience in the outdoors. Wow. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot. Um, we, we ended up completely lost one time on a guided hike in the middle of the night and uh we the guide didn't have their gps turned on carrie had one waypoint from where we left he said you know last minute i'm gonna put it in my gps but he didn't do any tracking and um yeah we were a good like 
six hours trying to get back to a place that should have only taken about half an hour. We got in this this thick gully, um, kind of chopping our way through it. And that was a learning point to say, like, we need to try to always know where we're going and how we got to the place we were. Because if, if something happens to the person you're with and they lose their device, you need to have it. Um, also, just like the just like weather setting in um, on, on our sheep hunt last year, um, we it was in August, so we left in you know middle of the summer, and then we woke up to like two weeks of a foot of snow and not having the <laughs> the proper warm clothing and stuff, and just rallying through and and trying to keep one another warm. Um, and then all, the weather, weather often plays into it because that's, that's the one that throws, you know, ringers at you really. Um, when we were up North, uh, on a hunt, it was like minus, minus 60 with the wind chill and, um, just trying to stay alive literally is, is the goal. It's hard to even think about the hunt that you're on because every ounce of your energy, your brain is just focused on how do I stay alive in these temperatures? And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it was pretty, pretty intense in those conditions. Um, thankfully we haven't had anything, uh, anything too, you know, out of this world happen, but, um, yeah, just things that we end up laughing at after. So, so we're lucky in that respect. It's always good when you have a partner that you can endure like the worst of the worst, so to speak. And then at the end of the day or down the road, you end up looking at that and it becomes like almost like this inside joke. That's it's, it's something that not anybody else will understand. And so that's, that's but you so have true. that with that person, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you always say like you wouldn't understand it unless you were there. And even in that case, two people can experience the same set of circumstances, but view it totally differently. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been able to, you know, live through some things and, and laugh about it and share about it and bond over it. And then we, as a couple say to our friends and, and family, we're going to explain it to you, but really we won't be able to do it justice, but we know, um, you know, within ourselves, how, how wild and epic it, it was. And, and that's a pretty cool bonding thing to have, to know that we've, we've seen um, one another through some of the, you know, crazy terrain um, and crazy weather events that being out in it really, uh, really allows you to do. Has, Becoming a mom changed what you're willing or comfortable to do in the outdoors, especially when it comes to things that are a little bit more extreme, if you will, like sheep hunting or getting out and those kind of elements. Yeah, yeah no, it's a really good question. And you're probably you're probably asking it as well because you know it does change a little <laughs> bit. Or you might feel that too. But yes, yeah, we actually talked about it on this most recent sheep hunt about how... Um, how I guess in the past couple of years on the sheep hunts that I've been doing, my my threshold for what I consider to be steep or gnarly terrain has really changed. But you know, I, I'm I'm a lot more comfortable in places that I wouldn't have been before. But in the back of my mind, it's like, do I do, do I want to put myself in a position where it it could result in me either not making it home, or if I make it home, I'm in pieces and and what that would look like for aspen we we are we are her entire world and um i i almost think that covid has instilled in her maybe some separation anxiety because that we've been together for like every single day since march which isn't which isn't normal for us normally carrie and i are just kind of poking around on a week-long trip here or there and she stays home and enjoys her friends and family but that couldn't happen this year so this trip to uh, alberta for our bighorn um sheep was the first time we had been away from her and she was having a really tough time and she would be sending all these like emojis on the inreach with like the broken heart and the ram and then the emoji with like the the mother and father and the little girl and all that <laughs> like total guilt trip right and my mom was even saying she's Aspen's reading what I'm writing to make sure that I'm not lying to you just to say how she's feeling and everything like that she's just learning to read now but she was reading enough to make sure my mom wasn't kind of bsing us 
So it really hits home. Like I, I cannot put myself in a position where I'm, I'm really risking it because it's bigger than, than Carrie and I now. It, we've got that little girl at home, and, and if anything were to happen to us, it, it would absolutely devastate her. Um, and uh, it, with, with COVID, we've lost a lot of, um, of elderly family members, not to COVID, but our province really shut down, um, and a lot of the, the elderly people, um, our family members, couldn't have visitors and stuff, and I think a lot of them passed away um, due to loneliness mm-hmm. and so that has hit home with her because she's lost the elderly a lot of elderly people in, in her life so she's aware of you know life and death and, and all that and um yeah there were there were times when our our we had a cameraman with us this time on the bighorn hunt and he would look down and he'd say if if we fall here we're dead <laughs> and, and i and i looked and i knew that wasn't quite right because it wasn't that that steep compared to some places that I'd been, but I I was like, no, you you are right. We do need to be really careful here because although we might not die, it probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Aspen was always in the back of my mind when I was <laughs> experiencing that stuff. You bring up a couple really good points, and I want to circle back to your bighorn hunt in Alberta. But I have to touch on this for sure. Uh, mom guilt. Uh, some people want to call it mom guilt. Some, you know, dads experience it. Um, those who are raising other people or might just have a partner or spouse, you can experience that kind of guilt. Like, how do you navigate that? I know that for me personally, speaking out of experience, uh, just for myself and my dynamic with my family, it's something that I go through and I feel a lot. But I know that there are effective ways at going reality versus you know a pressure that I'm putting on myself like how do you get through feeling of you know feelings of guilt when it comes to being gone or predicaments that you might be in and that sort of thing yeah I I do struggle with it um and I, I, I struggle with it because I spent so much time with her when she was growing up. Like I I didn't work like a nine to five out of the home kind of thing. Um, I was with her all the time. And at the same time, while I was with her, I was still working though. So I, I felt guilty that I was working when she was there and I felt guilty that I wasn't working out of the home for her to grow apart from me. So I've been kind of dealing with it in many different ways since mm-hmm. she was little. Um, when we go places, I, I feel the mom guilt and, and she's, like I said, good at, at putting it on me <laughs> um, a lot more lately. But it, it goes back to me knowing that like I'm showing her to follow your passions and your dreams. And while you do have a family and you do have this child, you're in my entire world. I'm, I'm showing you that you do need to do stuff for yourself sometimes. And in turn, that makes you a better person. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better mom. And I'm modeling that for you. So when she gets older and maybe has, um, has a partner, if you know if they're putting a guilt trip on her for something but she really feels she she needs to stay her course I'm feeling I'm modeling that for her um and that she'll be able to say no you know my mom showed me that although I placed the biggest guilt trip on her of all time by setting those emojis when she was in the mountain she she stuck through it you know and she she finished her hunt and then came home and we had a wonderful time together so I'm not letting anyone guilt me into doing anything. Um, I need to do things that are healthy for myself and for my well-being, and um, and I can do it and, and get through it, and the people will deal with it. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping anyway. I think that's such a wonderful way of looking at that. And honestly, until you said that, I hadn't thought too much about it, but setting boundaries in every aspect of life is super important, but it's also important with our kids that we – Uh, continue to have some sort of like self-identity outside of being a parent or being a spouse like we have to have some sort of us that remains the same and that's not to say that we can't make sacrifices or you know do things a little bit differently but we have to set boundaries even with our own kids sometimes so I love what you're saying about you know you are leading the example for her someday to go hey wait that's not on me to own that like I'm doing what I feel like I need to do and of course you have to check in every once in a while and go am I making the best decisions is this where I need to be 
is my time or my bandwidth well spent here? But I think once you know all of those things are true and you're staying true to yourself, then you have to have those boundaries with other people and allowing that guilt to come in. Totally. And knowing, knowing that the guilt will come and people will put that guilt on you, but being able to deflect when required, accept it when necessary and balance it all and figure out what's right in the grand scheme of things. Um, that's, that's where I'm hoping that this compass is pointing her. Totally. And honestly, as somebody who's owned a business and like since my babies were born, I've worked from home essentially for the most part. I've always had some sort of a home-based business. And I know that other uh, parents who are listening to this can relate, like especially right now with so many jobs that have transferred to being inside of the four walls of your house, essentially, there can be so much pressure and so much like spread thin moments going like, okay, you you're right outside and I know that you're begging for my attention, but my, my, um, you know, my focus is here on my work right now or with a client or with my job. And it's crazy because I try to get my kids to realize this, um, as often as possible. And I will be the first to say that I think we all have to do some self check-in sometimes and go, do I need to do this now or can it wait? Right. We all have those moments, but when you know that you're doing what you need to be doing, I think sometimes it's important to make your, your, uh, whoever's needing your attention, your children, whatever, realize that on the other side of this coin is me being removed and gone. You know, me being 40 hours a week somewhere else and you not seeing me. So I think it's kind of that double-edged sword. And that's, and that's exactly what I was talking about um, when Aspen was little. So, you know, she, I'd be working from home, no set schedule, but doing things when they needed to be done. And I kept thinking, she's going to remember me as the mom who always worked. And that broke my heart. But but then at the same time, when she got a bit older, I was able to explain to her, I, I worked a lot when you were around, but it's because you weren't out of the home with someone else. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you had the benefit of me being around and, um, I think she's, I, I know she's only seven and she probably still feels a little, a little bit, but I think she is understanding that a bit more when she is in school and seeing she's away from me for that long and realizing that could have been her life from the time she was a baby and it wasn't. Um, and, and it, you know, it's, it's, and it's not to say that it, for those who do work outside the home, that it's, it's a bad thing because they don't have that time. Um, it, it's great because uh, at the same time, Aspen struggled with school because she was away from me, um, for the first time ever. So, um, you know, it's, it's about, balance and making your situation work for your family and your realities and uh, there's no you know there's no right or wrong it's just what works for for your group and, and your circumstances and that's really important to remember that you know no matter which side you're looking at this from or what you might be facing right now it changes all the time it changes for your scenario and it changes with the season too you know as your kids uh, get older and their idea of or perception of reality changes you know things have to be explained in a little bit different way but I for sure remember thinking like and even still now sometimes I remember thinking my kids will remember me as always being on my computer or always being in my office and uh, I think it is just about letting that go because that's a pressure that we put on ourselves and just allowing ourselves to be more present with them when we're not working you know and when we're available to just sit down and, and focus on them exactly and uh, when they like Aspen brought it up the other day you 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 didn't take me on the last trip when we went to Alberta and I was like yeah but we, we did take you to Yukon and thankfully we took you to Yukon because in, in any other normal year we probably wouldn't have but you showed us that um, you know you could you could come along and so anytime that that works out in the future we'll be glad to do it and you, you know you can't say that we don't take you anywhere because <laughs> we did but she's a, she's a little character and she doesn't mind bringing it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. We're about to go into the holidays and I know you're already starting to worry about all the holiday food, the treats, and the irresistible goodies. 
You wanna know something else? I'm gonna be really bold and bet you probably love to have an envy-worthy booty. Am I right? Put the holiday junk in your trunk and join us in our six-week booty builder program. It's called the Glute Shop. This program is laser-focused to put you on the fast track to building a butt that boosts your confidence through the roof. Put the holiday calories to work and complete these six weeks from home. There's three workouts per week that are 30 to 45 minute sessions and just four simple pieces of equipment required. You want to know the kicker? It's on sale right now for just $57. Head over to herinspiredfitness.com forward slash the glute shop for all of the details. That's herinspiredfitness.com forward slash the glute shop. Now back to the show. So let's talk about your trip to Alberta. You and your husband, Carrie, just doubled up on Bighorn. Walk us through that experience, what that was like. Was this uh, something crazy for you guys or an annual trip or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so um, my sheep hunting journey began last year and I I did uh, a hunt for a stone sheep. Ended up, um, Carrie and I were there with an outfit and didn't see a legal ram in I think 12 or 14 days. The outfit was uh, great enough and let us stay, or let me stay for another hunt. Carrie had to get back because uh, Aspen was waiting for us back here. So I, I stayed uh, with a guide and Unfortunately, again, didn't see a legal ram on that other hunt. So that was that for the, the stone sheep for last year. Um, a few weeks later, when I got home, uh, we were off on a bighorn hunt in Alberta with a different outfitter. Uh, we were, I think, 21, 22 days and didn't see a legal ram there either. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I had a rough, uh, a rough sheep hunting year last year. I can't even call it sheep hunting, I guess, sheep searching. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so this year it was kind of like, all right, well, I, I had I had two other hunts booked, but they kind of got pushed off because of COVID. So thankfully, though, within Canada, there was the potential for travel within the country. And uh, also, because of the border closure, it, it wasn't great for outfitters, but um, they reduced the prices a lot to try to get Canadians to hunt um, in, in their own country. So we, we lucked into a couple of um, great opportunities uh, for that. Um, one was the, the doll sheep hunt that I went on back in August. And then, yeah, this, uh, this um, September, yeah, Carrie and I went to Alberta and we each had a tag for Bighorn. So um, I had hoped that my luck had changed because I did harvest a doll sheep uh, last month and um, you know I was optimistic like it can happen it can happen for me and I'm not totally <laughs> cursed even though I thought I was uh, from last year so we um, we went into uh, to this uh, beautiful base camp with Carter Outfitting in Alberta and uh, the first day we um, just did like a little horseback day hunt uh, didn't see anything there was a helicopter in the valley so I was like oh maybe I am cursed the helicopters are landing everywhere and um, it's you know tip my, my thing is every time I go on a hunt it, it never fails the the guides or the outfitters say I've never had this happen before <laughs> whether, it's a, whether it's a helicopter swooping by or snow in August or a, a horse wreck it, it never it follows me around I've never had this happen before I've never seen this before so I thought oh day one the helicopter's flying around it's it's not gonna happen for me this time anyway the next day we uh, took off on horseback and got dropped up to this spike camp and the horses went back and we had planned to stay about seven days up at this uh this area and uh, the next day we looked over and saw 17 rams across the valley now the they were up on this huge face so the the idea typically with sheep hunting is you never want to be on the same face as the rams you always want to kind of get on one side of the ridge and be able to shoot over the other side of the ridge so wind and visibility and all that isn't at play but these rams were hunkered down right in the middle of probably the biggest face i've ever seen all timbered up so we we sat for six days really morning we'd hike up to the top of the mountain and look across this valley about uh, two kilometers away We'd see, oh, the rams, they still haven't really moved out of the timber. We can't make a move yet. And, um, yeah, by day six, it was really a test of will and patience. Um, I'm pretty sure that many people would have by then busted up over the other side just to try to make them make a move. But 
um, we, I, I thought like, I, I'm this, I've been this long without seeing a, a legal ram. I, I don't want to screw it up. So patience and, um, you know, really, really sticking it out was, was key to me. I didn't want to bust them. And anyway, but one night we looked and they did make a move. One ram went off to the side over the right side of the ridge. Um, he was one that like, I, we had names for them all. I mean, after six days, you feel like, you know, all the rams, <laughs> you know, they all had personalities and you, you know what, there was this ram named Jerry. He kept, he was a real nuisance. He kept, uh, nudging all the rams when they were trying to bed he didn't want anyone to stay still he was this uh, funny light banana horn guy but one that i i saw on day three i think um i called him juicy i was like he looks really juicy and that name kind of stuck with him he went to the right and um we put him to bed that night the the rams at the same time the rest of the band of 16 went to the left and went over that other ridge so there was not a single ram on that face anymore that we had been memorizing for six days so the next morning we got up hiked up to the looking spot again and sure enough they they weren't back on that face so we thought yep now's the time to make the move so we went down over this really steep mountain into this um, basin and then climbed up the other side and we never had eyes on on juicy really the whole time and we uh, eventually got up to the top of it and looked over the ridge and, and saw him. Um, he wouldn't stop. He didn't. He didn't know we were there, but he was just kind of grazing and working through the trees. So uh, I was set up, but I didn't get a shot on him. And we waited because he thought he would pop out of the trees, but he ended up not doing it after a half an hour. So we said, "Well, we'll kind of give up on him for now. We'll put it on pause. We know the other, the rest of the band is on the other side." So as we started to make our way up to go across, we looked back, and and our guide Jimmy, great um, Kiwi, he. Uh, he looked back and he's like, he's there. So then I set up and, uh, I, I shot him. It was about 400 yards or so. And, um, at that point it was probably around three o'clock in the day, I would think. And so we went down and paid honors to him. I love spending time with the animals that I harvest and just, um, you know, giving my appreciation and thanks to them. And, um, we took pictures and everything. And we said, well, we won't process him fully right now because there's still so many hours of daylight, I think three at that point. And um, we would take our chances and try to go over where the band was so Carrie could get his. So um, we busted our asses up over that mountain again, went over, and I think within an hour and a half or two hours, Carrie had his ram down. So um, darkness had fallen. We had one ram down on one side of the mountain, another ram down on the other side of the mountain. And, uh, thankfully my ram, the reason he had juicy had separated, I think was cause he went to get water. The only water we had passed on that 10 kilometer day was right where he was. So that's the only reason we were able to stay on the mountain because we had run out of water at that point, but juicy was right in, in the water. So we, we camped, I, I say camped, but we didn't camp. We didn't have a camp. We slept. We, we slept sort of um, on the mountain that night. And the next morning, we uh, processed the rams and then began the the overnight hike again out to uh, to get picked up by the horses. So it was it was quite the process. It was my first night nights sleeping on the mountain um, without any sleeping bags or tents or anything like that. Thankfully, it was warm. I have a circulation problem. Uh, Reno's phenomenon where my hands and feet go numb and I, I get cold often. So thankfully, it didn't uh, dip down into low temperatures, although I had an abundance of hand warmers and stuff that I could shove everywhere if that were the case. But yeah, the, the fact that we doubled on on that hunt um, was, was insane. After spending six days looking at the rams, we thought... If we can, we at night, Carrie and I would be like laying down in the tent saying, you know, if we can get one ram out of this so that all these days aren't wasted, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, the, to get two out of it is just surreal. Like that, that doesn't happen to me. And I am so thankful and, and grateful for the way that opportunity presented itself and, and the way that it played out. And it was thankfully, you know, due, due to that patience that we had exhibited although we didn't necessarily want to the entire time we, we knew we had to stick it out and, and we did so it was a great lesson that it you know that it we got the reward for being patient for playing it the right way and um yeah it was 
it was incredible. I can't, I can't even process it still that that happened. What a cool experience though. And I'm like listening to you tell this and it's, it's simple to hear like this story, this like recount of what happened. Somebody can hear and be like, yeah, that's cool. Like that would be awesome. But I think that there's so many caveats and elements and you know you talk about bivouac like you don't have anything you have the clothes on your back you know and probably not much else let's talk a little bit about fears do you have i know for a lot of people and i know that this can be a hurdle for um a a ton of women and i get that i totally can relate in some areas to that like camping at night in the elements nothing to make you comfortable, no creature comforts. Um, what kind of things go through your head when you're just laying down on the ground trying to get comfortable enough to sleep? And actually, I have to say, I saw your Instagram story and I know that you slept very well that night. <laughs> but besides that, like what kind of things do you deal with in a scenario like that? So to me, for me, the main two things that I think about and they're kind of like, opposite ends of the animal spectrum one would be bears and one is bugs (laughs) so I'm thinking there's there's a dead ram you know like 300 yards from where I'm trying to sleep so if there's a bear in the area it's going to smell it and it's going to end up near us then the other one like I said everywhere we went there were ants so like, how am I, how am I going to sleep if there's going to be ants crawling in, on my face, up my nose and in my mouth? So for the bear, I try to rationalize it and say like, so there is a carcass there. So if there is a carcass, it's going to go after the carcass. It's not going to bother with us humans up here who are alive, you know, with a fire and with a gun. It's going to go after the easy thing, which is the ram. So, okay, I'll, I'll settle my mind that way. Then with the bugs, that's that's a whole other thing for me. I think that's worse than the pants. But <laughs> I, I carry I carry a bug net around um, for that for that moment for for that reason, um, so that I can tuck it in and I know that with, when I combine it with my mitts and my socks yeah. pulled up over my legs, um, my shirt tucked in and something yeah. wrapped around my waist, there's not a single way that a bug could get in at me. And um, apart from that, you know, you're just so friggin' exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't, like, you shouldn't let that kind of, you shouldn't let the thought of having to sleep potentially on a mountain kind of get to you because if you're in that position, you're probably going to be so friggin' tired that you'll welcome the sleep anyway. Definitely. Um, and for me, having those that, those hand warmers I don't leave home without them without a pack of uh, of like an 18 hour set of those of those warmers um because it is yeah it's it's a tough situation you know you like you leave in the morning we left on that stock knowing that if we got a ram down we wouldn't be back to camp that night and you couldn't pack enough you couldn't pack so much in your packs that if you did get a ram you wouldn't have any room to pack the animal out so it's a it's a delicate balance to say like what are the absolute necessities Mm -hmm. and um and really be minimalistic about it but yeah for me it it included a bug net and having a rifle and and then having water which we ended up stumbling upon thankfully but um yeah having a game plan for water is is critical too but but yeah don't don't let the fear of it stop you because you don't always necessarily have to sleep on the mountain but just know that you have the bare necessities at your disposal if you do have to yeah and I think honestly and and maybe this isn't true for everybody but in those scenarios where I've where I've had to just you know lay down find a spot uh, in some scenarios find a cave and make shelter or make some sort of a comfortable little cove where you can just lay down and get some sleep I think it's easier to like overthink that when you're in the comfort of your home or when you're planning for a hunt or when you're just like talking about that scenario but when you're in it most times like you said you're just so tired that it's just it's almost like a mental and physical exhaustion where you're just out and uh on my first sheep hunt in Alaska uh I remember 
And honestly, for me, I don't, I didn't grow up in a place where there were grizzly bears, black bears, although they can still be very dangerous and aggressive. I just, I've, I've been around them enough that I'm not super uncomfortable with that fact. But when it comes to grizzly bears, there's a whole new territory for me. And I remember thinking when she said, yeah, and just so you know, if we get a ram down, the horns are going to sleep in uh the um tent with us and i thought well that's weird for one and for two there's grizzly bears there and so i'm thinking in the back of my head however when that scenario unfolded i gave no shits whatsoever <laughs> that, right. that there was blood and like brains next to me in the tent i slept like a baby so it was fine exactly yeah that second that second night um we well we had packed out the meat and the hides and and the heads and everything so our packs were full of of blood and everything and i i used it as a pillow <laughs> but at the same time there was like the bags of meat that were 100 yards away so i i kept trying to be rational about it. if i'm a bear am i gonna go for the blood smelling yeah. pack or am i gonna go for the actual meat that's there and i Thankfully, I wasn't so tired that I couldn't be totally rational. So I, I was able to sleep uh, that night, too. There is a fine line between being so tired you could sleep and being so tired that you're just a wreck. <laughs> That's for real. Yeah. No. And But, you know, sometimes it is like it is a mind game. You need to you need to talk to yourself and you need to say, am I thinking like this because I'm tired or am I thinking like this because it's real and rational? And um yeah, I, I had a conversation with myself on that last night when we were walking down that um, that dry creek on our way to our last camp spot, which we didn't have any firm. We knew we would camp wherever there was water, so we just kept walking until we got to the water. And um, and then in turn, I think my, my uh, talk with myself that was out loud ended up helping some other people too, and they were like, yeah, you're right, we'll just make it there. And then we'll deal with whatever was going on, sore feet, burning feet, and mm-hmm. packs that are, you know, hurting us when, when we get there. Um, so, yeah, you do need to have that uh, that whole mental talk. But, but like you said, yeah, I think you hit it nail on the head. Like, if you think about it before you're in the situation, you'll psych yourself out, um, at, like, in terms of sleeping on the mountain or whatever. In the moment, you just, you just run with it and you mm-hmm. do what you need to do and, um, and it works. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things and I could talk to you for the rest of the night. This is perfect. I love the conversation. But just to make sure that our listeners are getting what they need in the time frame that they need it. A couple things I want to talk about. And this is a question that goes into the questions that I send out to guests. Um, What is the one thing that you would take if you were stranded on a deserted island? This is the thing for you that will give you comfort or will give you some sort of way to uh, just, I don't know, live your best life on a deserted island. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one that I, I struggle with. I thought about it long and hard, and then I thought, well, is it an island that I'm happy to be on, or is it an island that I need to get off, <laughs> right? We overthink everything. So I thought, well, regardless, I guess my in-reach would, would help me with that. If I needed to get off, I would have the SOS button, and if I was having a good time, I'd be able to tell everybody about it. <laughs> so that's that's one of my um, my most important items in my pack. It gives me reassurance, again, on both spectrums, whether it's actually staying alive or whether it's the comfort of being able to touch base at home um, about business or about family. And, um, yeah, the rest of the things, you know, for getting food and everything, I can figure it out if there's rocks on the deserted island. <laughs> I, can, I can do some, uh, some chicken hunting with some rocks. But uh, the, the in-reach is, is my go-to piece of, uh, of equipment. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because I think it is very valuable. I got one last year and it's honestly been just a game changer. And like you said, it can be for morale. It can be for safety. um, It can be for being able to stay connected with a client or with your business or with your child. Um, And it really does come in handy. So it's one of those gear items. I think for me, it's, I mean, it's, clips to my pack and it goes everywhere I go even if that's on a road trip with my kids or into the back country so I think that one is is awesome uh the other thing I wanted to touch on Jen is if you want to talk about it you've got some pretty exciting things coming up 
Yeah, yeah, um, sure do. So uh, recently, I uh, I signed on with Wild TV, which is Canada's largest outdoor hunting and fishing network, to do a few episodes. So my recent hunts, my my bighorn and my um, adult sheep hunt in the Yukon, are going to be part of that that series and those episodes. And um, I know it's something that people have approached me on for a little while, and I was always reluctant to do it. Um, you know, with the whole sponsorship thing and, um, and, and, you know, the, the attention and stuff that it can draw. Um, I, I love putting myself out there to try, kind of encourage other people to, to get at the outdoors and to go hunting and go fishing. But the, the, you know, fame and all that is not at all my motivation. So I, I was kind of hesitant, but I thought, you know, we do, Carrie and I and Aspen, we do these crazy cool adventures, and really all we have to show for it are some iPhone and phone pictures and videos, and it would be really cool to have something put together to, to really showcase the incredible nature of the kinds of adventures that we're on. So I finally, I got warmed over to it, and I was like, you know, we we should do something like this, um, and uh, and yeah, we're having a blast at it. To have to have someone come along to to film for you, you don't even need to think about it. It really yeah. allows you to soak in the hunt a lot more. I find because you're always not you know you're not concerned about am I getting a photo of this to show Aspen or show my parents or whatever. Um, someone's kind of running with that for you, and uh, and we've really enjoyed it so far. Super cool. So do you have an idea now of when that will air? I'm thinking it'll be next next summer into next fall. So we'll have some episodes, like I mentioned, the sheep hunts, also my moose hunt that I'm currently uh, filming right here in Newfoundland. Um, I've had a few great archery encounters um, and rifle has started. So maybe I'll, I'll have a go like that with it, um, some fishing and stuff. But yeah, I think I think next fall, and then also Wild TV is on Amazon Prime in the U.S. as well. So um, eventually, it will be available there as well in the states. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It was really good just to get to chat with you, and you know the relatable scenarios, you know, between being a mom and an outdoorsman, and just getting out and pursuing the things that we love. It's so nice just to know that other women share the same experiences, um, though we might be doing different things or hunting different species. There's a, so many ways that we can just touch on the same basis and feel connected. So I appreciate your time and you coming on the show today. Uh, where can people get in touch with you or follow along and see what you guys are doing? So I'm most active on Instagram, really. My handle is smidgen. So that's S-M-I-D-J-E-N. And I also have a blog, which I've kind of neglected this summer, but I haven't been home. So that's my that's my total excuse. I can't do blog posts when I'm in the mountains. Um, but that's jenshears.com. And so I've got some things uh, that I've got planned for the next little while. Um, but yeah, I totally appreciate the opportunity, Courtney. I, I value... Um, your podcast because of uh you know the very inspiration that it tries to get out to women whether it's in the outdoors or whether it's just in in different aspects of their lives in terms of balancing everything they have going on um no two journeys are the same but there are definite commonalities that we can all um learn you know from one another from one another's experiences and stuff and sometimes it's just reassuring to know that you're not alone in it so i truly value what you do and uh, and appreciate that um you thought i was worthy to be part of it thank you so much words of wisdom to end the show thank you so much jen i really appreciate it take care once again thank you for tuning into the show we hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe if you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend, and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.